You can turn in your Bible to Malachi chapter 4. Today concludes our time in the book of Malachi. If you look back at the section titles in your Bible, we've all got English Bibles, so look back at the end of Malachi chapter 3. You'll probably see, at least in the ESV mine, it says the book of remembrance. That's the, the title over that section. And this is the book, we talked about this last week, this is a book in which God records the names of those who fear him, right? That was the distinction that he set out in those, in those verses, those who fear God and those who don't, those who serve God and those who don't serve God, those who are righteous and those who are wicked. And as evidence of this, of fearing God, of being recorded in this book, as evidence these people, the people that fear the Lord, they, they get together and they speak about God to one another, which is, in my mind, just a beautiful image of the church. This is what we do. We get together and we exalt the name of Jesus together. We, we've done that this morning. We, we hear a report like Liz's and we say, wow, God, thank you. And we, we say, this is only something that the Lord has done. And we speak to him about him to one another. This is something that we should be doing regularly in the church and, and even outside in our own relationships. God says through Malachi something else incredible about Christians. He says at the end of chapter 3, he says, verse 17, they shall be mine, my treasured possession. What a, what a wonderful truth. What a wonderful image this gives us. For the Christian, we should cherish this sort of thing. It doesn't matter what you're enduring in your life right now. You are God's treasured possession. I mentioned this last week. It's as like, it's like God owns the whole bank and everything in it, but as a Christian, he sets you in his own personal safety deposit box. You're his. You're his treasured possession. Unfortunately, for those outside Christ who do not belong to him, this, this idea, this what we've talked about, might not mean very much. The distinction between the wicked and the righteous, those who serve God, those who don't, those who fear the Lord and those who don't fear the Lord, that distinction probably doesn't mean a whole lot to those outside of Jesus. But there is a day coming when that will mean everything. That distinction will mean everything. And so the final chapter of Malachi, the last words to be spoken through God's prophets for 400 or so years, they continue this discussion concerning the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And so let's read all of chapter 4 and then ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, said the Lord, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. 
And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let's pray. Lord, I hope that we'll see that even in these prophecies, this expectation of coming judgment, there's mercy. There's grace to be found. If nothing else that you've told us that this is going to happen, there's mercy in that. But Lord, you've gone a step further than just telling us this is coming. Lord, you've, you've opened the way to be made right with you. Help us to see that as your mercy today and to not presumpt on it, Lord, but instead to receive it with all faith and have our lives changed by the blood of Christ. It's in his very name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so as we study for our purposes in studying together, uh, I just want to make note of this, maybe some study notes, and if you've got a study Bible or something, they point this out, but most of the manuscription and editions of the Hebrew Bible of Malachi actually just kind of consider Malachi chapter 4 as part of Malachi chapter 3, just kind of in a continuation of it. And you can see that if you look at the end of chapter 3, when it's talking about these distinctions, and then it goes right into the first three chapters of chapter four, or three verses of chapter four, it's a, it's definitely a flow still here. It's kind of a continuation of, of chapter three. And so this makes sense because of how it starts. Look at that first word. In the English Standard Version, it says, for, which calls our minds back to what's come before it, explains when and how this distinction that Malachi has been talking about is going to happen. And he says, for behold, behold is a term that's used to express strong feelings, uh, sometimes surprise, expression, expectation, hope, certainty. It calls us as the reader to pay close and special attention to what's about to be said. So for behold, Jesus uses this phrase often. Here it says, behold, this is kind of like, I read this week, behold is kind of like a divine highlighter, okay? What's coming next is being highlighted. Divine underlining of an especially striking or important text. And so these final words of Malachi, the day of the Lord is what's being highlighted. And it's highlighted five times in just a few verses. Back in chapter 3, verse 17, the day of the Lord is mentioned. In verse 1 of chapter 4, it's mentioned twice that day. Chapter 4, verse 3, and then also verse 5. All of these verses mention the day that is coming, the day of the Lord. And so some of Malachi's very last words to to, to the people of God anticipated the, the coming of Christ in the future, coming of Jesus in judgment. Now there are... Overall, in Scripture, there are 23 uses of the phrase, the day of the Lord, or that kind of a a phrase. It's not always used to reference a future day when God will intervene and judge the world according to righteousness. But most of the uses of it, most of those 23 times, do. In fact, 14 of the times that it's used, the word day is described as being near or coming. So I say all of that to communicate to you guys this. Both Malachi... The New Testament authors and pastors throughout the, this, the decades before me have been saying this same thing. The day of the Lord is coming soon. 
Now, soon to us is different possibly than soon to the Lord. Okay, And so we need to keep that in mind, but it's coming soon. Just because there's been what we perceive as a delay, which we actually know is God's patience, just because we see that doesn't mean we're avoiding judgment altogether. It's still on the way. And this is what Malachi is saying. When you consider how the word was used in Old Testament prophets working in four separate centuries, the day was both near and at hand for each of them as well. I think I've got these in your notes. Obadiah 15, Joel chapter 1, verse 15, chapter 2, verse 1. In the ninth century, they said it that way. The day of the Lord was at hand or, or coming. Isaiah in the eighth century, Zephaniah in the seventh century, Ezekiel in the sixth century. All of these guys are saying the same kind of thing. The day of the Lord is coming. Now Malachi saying the same thing. It's coming. So in these prophetic books, the day of the Lord really signifies a time when God intervenes in the affairs of the nations to judge the wicked and to rescue the righteous upon that distinction that we've talked about. Each of these prophets saw some kind of fulfillment in their day of this prophecy, of this truth. Specific events in their own times helped them to see that. And yet each of these prophets and prophecies has a still yet unfulfilled nature to them, don't they? That day of the Lord has not occurred. The coming of Christ has not taken place. We anticipate it. We look forward to it. So in the future sense, the judgment connected with the Messiah will take place at Christ's second coming. That's what Malachi is getting at. But if you look back at chapter 3, verse 2 through 4, it's the priests and the Levites and then the people who are refined and purified. And if you just kind of glance through Old Testament history, it's pretty clear that there have been a number of what we might call precursor days of the Lord. So kind of like they're days that point ahead to the final and terrible day of the Lord that's referred to here. We, we think of maybe the destruction of Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar. That was kind of a precursor of judgment that was, that is to come. Same thing is, uh, under Titus, his reign. It's just kind of a precursor. It's a glimpse of partial fulfillment of what's being talked about here. Okay, And in Malachi, future judgment is stressed kind of to the max almost here. I'm, I'm going to point that out. It, it's, it's, not, it's that the day of the Lord, he calls it that it will set an evildoer and the arrogant ablaze. They'll be set on fire. That's, that's pretty intense, guys. And so we don't want to, we don't want to excuse this and bypass this. It would be awfully easy if we weren't just preaching through this verse by verse to skip this kind of a thing because this is not what our culture wants to hear. This is not what our hearts oftentimes want to hear. We don't want to hear that this sort of end is coming for some people. But as was reflected on in uh, one of the adult Sunday school classes this morning, we were all here. We all deserve this kind of judgment. And so this is a message of mercy for sure. Now, this isn't the first time that Malachi brings up fire. Glance back at chapter 3. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. Chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Who can endure the day of his coming? That's the same day we're talking about in chapter 4. Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire. 
like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. The day is coming, but God is refining. God's using fire now, isn't he? That's, that's what he's teaching it. There's, there's fire now. And so one of the purposes of fire, kids, if you're listening, one of the purposes of fire is to refine. It's to purify. You guys see this, uh, I think, in the springtime a lot of times. Farmers and, and uh, people who own property out here will burn their fields, right? They use fire. It looks like it's destroying things, but it's actually giving new life. It's opening up space for regrowth and regeneration, and it's good. It's purifying those fields. Even though there are flames and there's heat, it's positive. And that's what chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 are talking about. It's a positive reference to fire there. But in chapter 4, the reference changes. It's not a positive, at least not for those who don't know Christ. It's a fire that's coming in the day of the Lord is different. Now, I do think it's positive in one sense. It's positive in the sense that God's going to be righteous and glorified, even in that. So don't hear me wrong. This is not something to be avoided. This is a good thing. It's positive in that sense. And yet, for the arrogant and the evildoers, Malachi says, it will not be positive. It will not be good. See, fire is used in Scripture, as we've seen, to talk about the symbol of holiness, of God's holiness specifically. And what does it do with all the bad stuff? It wipes it away. It eliminates it. It consumes all that impurity. When you light a field on fire, you're doing that to consume the underbrush, that old dead stuff so that the new growth can take place. This is what God's fire is doing. It's purifying and it's cleansing. It's consuming these things. And so for every person... The Lord is either a refining fire or a consuming fire. What's the fire like in your life? Now that's what I think in verse 1 here, that's what burning like an oven is referring to. We're talking about intense heat in an oven. Uh, you might remember this. This came up recently in our study in First and Second Peter, Second Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come, same day, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There is a day coming when the arrogant and the evildoer will be nothing, Malachi says, nothing but stubble. That's what he says, nothing but stubble. Now, I'm, I'm not sure I need to define what it is to be arrogant or to be an evildoer, but these are descriptions of any person who is not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Okay, that's what this is referring to. It's referring to self-righteous people who think they don't need a Savior. It's referring to those who work at wickedness instead of working at truth and goodness. And Malachi says these will be burned as stubble in the furnace of God's perfect justice. There's not really much substance to stubble, is there? We're in a farming community. We kind of understand that for the most part. It can be used at times for different things. But oftentimes, especially in biblical days, stubble was more or less useless. And if you put it on a fire, what happened? Like that, it's, it's burned up. 
It's like putting dry grass on a bonfire. It burns bright for a minute, but it is gone in an instant. That's the stubble that's being talked about here. It'll burn up very quickly. The point here is that those who are too proud to trust in Jesus and those who enjoy living in wickedness will not be able to stand in the presence of the Lord as a consuming fire. All their attempts at self-justification will not last even for a moment. They will have no leg to stand on. Malachi chapter 3 verse 2, as we just read, says, Who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? Chapter 4 verse 1 continues. It says, They will be left, those arrogant, those evildoers, they will be like stubble. They will, they will be left with neither root nor branch. Several years ago, when Nikki and, our fam- and I and our family still lived in a subdivision in Troy, I got this great idea that I wanted to plant bamboo in my yard. Okay, now I don't know if you know anything about bamboo, but it can take over pretty quickly. I knew that, so I I did my research, and I read, and so my mom and I worked together to dig a three-foot-deep trench around this little area where I was going to plant my bamboo, and we put in a double layer of extremely thick plastic, Okay, because all my research said this would stop the rhizomes from going through. So we did it, and we I planted the bamboo, and it began to grow, and I was super impressed. And then I don't remember how long it was. It might have been a year, but it wasn't too much longer. And all of a sudden, guess what I see growing up in the grass? Not within the boundary. Bamboo. Fast forward a couple of years after that, we we go to sell our house. And I didn't want this bamboo to be a problem for my neighbors uh, and or the new the new tenants, you know, new, new owners. And so I decided I was going to go dig it up. So I got out there over the course of several days, and I dug up the bamboo. And it's you guys, if you know anything about bamboo, it's not just what you see above the surface. It's actually what you see going on below the surface that's important. And so I would dig these roots out. And when all was said and done, I had dug over 400 feet of bamboo roots out of my yard. We, okay, I had a little bit of help (laughs) of this. So I got this all up, and I, I, I don't remember what I did with it. Probably just threw it away. I was irritated at that point. And a couple of days later, I look out, and guess what's growing? Bamboo was growing. And so I went out. I thought, no way. I, I know I got all of this. So I went out and guess what it was? Uh, I had chopped some of the roots and a section about four inches long had fallen on top of the, the soil that had been worked. And within two or three days, it had begun to grow again. That's wild. If Don't plant bamboo in your yards. Okay, If you've got a lot of space, go for it. But don't do it in your yards. This is what I think is going on here what Malachi is talking about. We like to think, oh, there's a little chance that I'll be able at the last minute to repent and do what's right and be okay. Just that glimmer of hope, that one little root that might stay in the ground and give nutrients to the plant. It doesn't work that way. Malachi says, those who are wicked and those who are evildoers, arrogant, they won't be left with any root They won't be left with any branch. you got to have roots to have branches. Neither one of them are going to be seen. You guys who 
work on fence rows and stuff. You can cut the branches off of a little tree. You can even cut that tree down. But if you don't dig out the root or pour some pretty toxic chemicals on that stump, it's going to come back. That's not how this is going to be. God's eternal judgment is going to be final. The apostle, or John the Baptist rather, he says in Matthew 3.10, he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See the connection here? The proud, the wicked, on that day, God's going to get it all. There's not going to be any bit of sin left. He's going to consume it all because he's perfect and he's good and he's righteous. There won't be any glimmer of hope that just a little bit of root is left and might be able to grow again. It's final. It's the end. And so Malachi is giving us a warning here. It's a, it's a, a strong warning. Yes, but it's a warning. If we try to live on our own, according to our own ways and our own wills, We would rather submit to our own judgment than submit to the will and ways of God. We will be judged righteously and completely on that day. And it's not hard to see the connection between the arrogant and the evildoer, how those things go together. One commentator I read said this, pride is the root sin, like that bamboo root that just sprouts up. Pride is the root sin, but their evil deeds are the rotten fruit. See, pride is how it starts. The arrogant, arrogant starts in the heart, starts here, but then we work evil, evil doers, it comes out as the rotten fruit in our lives. What a warning this is. It's clear. It's, it's universal too. Judgment is coming no matter what your skin color is, no matter what your language is, your economic status, your age, your gender. None of those things matter in the end. The consequences are clear, and the Spirit of God gives us this warning. Thankfully, He gives us this warning. But also, thankfully, that's not all there is to the closing verses of Malachi. It is a warning, absolutely. Take it to heart, brothers and sisters. But that's not all there is. Verse 2 is the word, but. And this is one of those divine parts of language, kind of like Ephesians chapter 2, but God Here, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healings, healing in his wings. You will go out leaping like calves from the stall. What a blessed turn this verse makes. Spurgeon says, what a change of figures to the wicked an oven and to the God fearing person, a son. To those who fear the name of the Lord and gather to speak to one another about him. The Lord's judgment doesn't fall as a consuming fire. It comes like the sun rises after a dark night. Comes as the son of God rose up from the grave, conquering sin and death in his wake. It says, but for you who fear my name, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now I, I know we do live in a farming community We probably know what this looks like, but I want to show a short video of cows leaping. Okay? Are you guys ready back there? (laughs) 
Isn't that great? That's fantastic. That's if you haven't seen cows before leaping from the stall. So what happens is in, in bad weather or cold weather, a lot of times they get they get put up into a pen or a stall and they're confined. And if you've got kids, you know that you can only keep them confined for so long. Same way with animals. And so when these young cows are let out, they prance around and they kick and they, they jump. And it's funny to see a cow do that. But that's what Christians are going to be like when Jesus comes back. You're going to be like a little calf, full of joy, full of security, a calf being free of its pen and exciting, jump, excitedly jumping for joy in the sunny pasture is, I hope, a very clear metaphor of the joyful, carefree life of a Christian. Because, brothers and sisters, if that's how we're going to be one day, why wait? You see what I'm saying? Why wait to be joyful and to be happy and content and satisfied in Christ until that day. He's called us and given us the ability through His Spirit to be that now. And so I would encourage you, I'll send you that link and you can play that on your phone whenever you need to be reminded of joy in Christ. The figure that Malachi draws on here expresses this full satisfaction, this full joy of the righteous, of those who fear the name of the Lord. And how are they righteous? Because of their own good deeds? No. It's the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. They believe God and it's counted to them as righteousness. Why? Look at verse 2. Why? Because the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. Who is this Son of Righteousness? Most of your translations, the Son is probably capitalized for good reason. We could probably guess, I think we're talking about Jesus here. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. This is the Lord Jesus Christ returning to the world in his darkest hour, his darkest night. He is the light of the world. You might remember from John 1, he is the light of the world, both physically and spiritually. Son of righteousness, interestingly enough, can also be translated son of vindication context here concerns the day of the Lord, right? Which, as we've said, will be a time when God vindicates his people and judges sin perfectly. And this vindication will be clear to all, just like the bright rising of the sun after a dark night. Everybody's going to see it. Theologians and writers have long understood this son of righteousness to be a reference to the Messiah, including even Christmas song hymn writers. You might recognize Charles Wesley's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I think it's the third verse. Here's what it says. Hail the heavenly prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. And it's S-U-N there in his song. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. He comes with healing in his wings. So as the rays of the sun give light, they give heat, they give life to all of God's creation, so Jesus awakens, enlightens, warms, heals, purifies, and refines every soul that believes in him. 
when the Lord Jesus returns as the sunrise overcoming the dark night, all the dreads of sickness and all sorrows of sin will flee. The bright sun of righteousness will chase them away forever. Isn't that good? Doesn't that make you just want to like jump out of a stall like a little calf? This is, this is good news. The response of the saved at hearing this truth about the son of righteousness is that very thing. We will jump around like calves from a stall. We'll be full of joy and satisfaction in who Jesus is. Look at verse three. You shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Those who fear the Lord overcome the world. This is what John, 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so this is how Christians overcome the world. This is how they are as ashes under their feet. On the day when the Lord acts, the wicked are going to be that way, as ash under the feet of the righteous. But not because the righteous are so virtuous on their own. Not because we take some uh, weird pleasure in stomping on those who don't know Jesus. But because, and simply because we have believed in Christ as the only Son of God. On the basis of faith. That's it. That's why. Verse 4 then is a reminder to the remnant, to those who fear His name, Remember the law of my servant Moses, he says. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. So some of the very last words spoken by God's, to God's people for 400 years or so are a call to remember and to obey the law, the statutes, the rules they were given. Why? Why? We're told that this silence would occur. Amos chapter 8 verse 11, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. This famine was going to come. God would be silent for 400 or so years. Why? Because his word would be enough. Because what he'd spoken through Moses and the prophets because it would be enough. It's sufficient. Until Christ would enter the scene many years later, the people interacted with God through this law, through these rules. And what they had been told by the fathers and prophets was sufficient for them during those years. Christ would fulfill the law perfectly and bring about a new covenant. John chapter 1, verse 17 says, The law was given through Moses. It was good. Was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So verse 4 is a call to look back and remember God's revealed word to his people. Verse 5, then, is a call to look forward to God's final victory. So verse 4 looks back, verse 5 looks forward. Let's read that together. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Remember the focus of Malachi's words here are the coming day of the Lord. So this is a shift, verse 5 is, from remembering the past to hoping in the future. What's, what's to come? Verse 5 says this. Now we mentioned a couple chapters ago, um, several weeks ago, in our, 
our study of uh, chapter 3, verse 1, that John the Baptist, I believe John the Baptist was the messenger who would prepare the way before the Lord. He came, as it says in the New Testament, in the spirit and power of Elijah. But even John says he was not Elijah. Um, he wasn't Elijah reincarnate or anything like that. Here in verse 5, Malachi says that Elijah the prophet will come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Based on what Jesus says in Matthew eleven thirteen through 15, it seems to me that this, again, would reference John the Baptist. Let me read his words, Matthew eleven thirteen through 15. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, John the Baptist, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. When Jesus spoke these words, John had already been killed. But he says, if you are willing to accept it, he is, John is the Elijah who is to come. And so, as I understand it, John in Jesus' day was the fulfillment of Elijah who was said to come again. Uh, if we think about um, John's, before John was ever born, in fact, before he was ever even uh a thought in his parents' minds, the angel Gabriel appeared to his dad. You guys, maybe if you're reading the Christmas story, you might have read this in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, and what does he say? You're going to have a son. You've been waiting for a long time. You're going to have a son. I want you to name him John. He's going to do a bunch of good stuff. Well, interestingly, Zechariah kind of doubts him. He's like, how can this be? And Gabriel says, okay, you don't get to talk anymore. And so for about nine months, he, he doesn't, he doesn't get to speak. Um, ch- Luke chapter one, verse 17 says this about John. This is angel Gabriel talking about who John would be. And he will go before him talking about the Messiah. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the day, for the Lord a people prepared. So I hope that you can see why I come to this conclusion based on Malachi 4, 6, which includes very similar language in turning the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And so what's going to happen on that day is a wonderful reconciliation is a wonderful restoration of how things ought to be. It doesn't take long for us to look around and realize that relationships in families, oftentimes relationships of children and their fathers, isn't always the best. It's not always very good. And yet the day is coming when all of that will be restored. All of the hearts will be turned to one another. Now understand, in understanding the Elijah issue here, details do matter, but I think there's something here that I, I, I don't want us to miss if we get too caught up in the details. And, it, and it's this. I want us to see in what chapter 4 is really getting at is that God precedes the wrath of judgment with mes- a message of mercy. Judgment's real. Judgment is coming but he gives a message of mercy in the middle of all of this. Think of the Lord's call throughout Scripture. Think of how he sent messengers to the evil and wicked city of Sodom. Right? He had people there, and they wouldn't listen. Think of the messenger that he sent to Nineveh. Right? Think of the messengers that he's sent throughout history. 
Think of the messengers that he's sending in your own life. God sending messengers to Jerusalem. God sending messengers to Japan. God sending messengers to Pike County, to your homes, to your families, everywhere in between. What do these messengers proclaim? What do they proclaim? What are they supposed to be proclaiming? Well, they proclaim the good news, right? The good news of Christ, the message of mercy. Their message is the same thing that John said and that Jesus both said right at the beginning of their ministries. This is the same message that pastors across the country and around the world should be proclaiming even still. And it's this, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is coming. Prepare for the great and awesome day of the Lord. Don't wait. Today, today is the Lord's message of mercy in your life. John Piper says, you are God's creation. You belong at his side. The bridge is built with a cross. Your pardon is signed with the blood of his son. Come back home before the great and terrible day of the Lord. What's clear in this text is what I hope that we're clear on today. The day is coming. The great and awesome day of the Lord is coming. We don't know when that exact date will be. I, I read from Second Peter. He says it's going to come as the thief in the night. We, will, we won't know exactly when that day is, and yet God has told us we don't have to be unprepared. You see, that's the difference. This message of mercy is one of preparedness. Are you listening are you prepared? Because whether it's a day of rejoicing for you like those little calves, or whether it's a day of wrath for you like the burning of an oven will depend on whether you are among the righteous or whether you are among the wicked. And it depends on whether you have received the righteousness of Christ through repentance and faith or whether you choose to remain in your rebellion and in your indifference to the Lord. The righteous will have joy forevermore, but the wicked will be stricken with a decree of utter destruction. That's what he says at the end. Maybe the best way for me to recap God's message from the end of the Old Testament is to reflect on what he says at the end of the New Testament. Turn in your Bible to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 12 and 13. Jesus, if you've got a red letter Bible, you'll notice that these words are in red. This is the Lord Jesus. He says, look, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the Son of Righteousness. Jesus is the light of the world. The question then becomes for us, has his light shone on you and in your heart? What does he say? He says, look, behold, I'm coming quickly. You may not have time. You may not know when your last breath will be, but you don't have to be unprepared. Malachi tells us today, the words of Elijah, 
the words of John the Baptist, the words of the apostles, of Jesus himself, and of this preacher today is the same thing. Jesus is coming quickly, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Do you believe? Believe on Christ today, and you can be freed from bondage, and you can receive everlasting life. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a warning, but what a message of mercy this is. That you, in your patience and and love, would give us December 4th, 2022. That you would give us these breaths that we're breathing now. That your patience would extend to those who need to hear and respond to your word. And so I pray, Lord, today that, that people would respond not for, not for any kind of selfish reason here, but Lord, simply because they need you and we don't want to see them burning for eternity. Because that day is coming. We don't know when, Lord, but we trust that it is. But in your goodness, you have made a way for us to be satisfied in you through Jesus. And Lord, as we reflect on these things today, for those who are yours, I pray that We wouldn't necessarily forget about the cares of this life because they press in on us hard. But Lord, even despite the cares of this life, we would we would have that picture of these little calves jumping around. And remember, this is this is who I am to be. And I can be because God is so good and merciful and patient. Lord, help us to be fully satisfied and full of joy because of Jesus. In his name, we ask these things. Amen.